Hamlet podcast. Hello and welcome to the first of a long overdue set of bonus episodes with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. In Shakespeare's day, Christmas celebrations would last at very least until the 6th of January. And since I have five bonus episodes queued up, I figured we could settle in for these few January nights and look at some extra figures and contributions that have given to the rich history of this, dare I say, endlessly rewarding play. Let these be five extra Christmas presents that will bring us all the way to Twelfth Night, that most Shakespearean of January evenings. For the record, if you're taking down your Christmas decorations already, bear in mind that for Shakespeare, the Christmas period would have lasted until Candlemas at the beginning of February. So if you don't want to take them down just yet, you can justifiably enjoy them for the whole month, if you so please. But now to the business at hand. This bonus episode is in honour of perhaps the most famous of Hamlet's interpreters, Sir John Gielgud. I'll confess it has felt quite bewildering even to try to condense this gentle titan's Shakespearean life into this format, since Gielgud continued working into his 90s. He himself wrote five volumes of autobiography, laced with very charming anecdotes and self-effacing humour. He acted in multiple productions of over 20 different Shakespeare plays, and was also successful in Chekhov, in Restoration Comedy, and particularly as Jack in Oscar Wilde's masterpiece, The Importance of Being Earnest. Gielgud had a few favourite roles, among them Prospero in The Tempest, Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing, and particularly the title role in Richard II. But of all the Shakespearean characters he played in the 70 years between his first and last professional appearances, none had more impact than his interpretation of Hamlet. Gielgud was born into theatrical royalty. His mother Kate was a Terry, and her aunts included Mabel Terry Lewis and Ellen Terry, the leading lady of Henry Irving's company in the late 19th century. Gielgud's cousin was Edward Gordon Craig, the influential modernist designer whose production of Hamlet at the Moscow Art Theatre was directed by Stanislavski himself. John Gielgud's father was a stockbroker, and there was no guarantee that young John would follow in the footsteps of his maternal family. At school, he performed in productions of Julius Caesar and the Merchant of Venice, and eventually went to study at Westminster School. As a child in London, Gielgud managed to see a huge variety of the stars of the day. This is hardly surprising, given that some of them were in his own family. He even managed to see Sarah Bernhardt perform on stage, and himself wrote a fascinating book of notes from the gods, detailing his theatre-going experiences in the 1920s. He got his first pretty decent gig thanks to his aunt Phyllis in early 1922, a hundred years ago this year. The most important thing he learned from this engagement, touring in a play called The Wheel, was that he needed acting lessons. And so, by the end of 1922, he was enrolled at RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. It was at RADA that Gielgud first got to try out a few scenes from Hamlet, and thoroughly enjoyed himself in his morbid black costume, but he knew there were deeper depths to mine. It wasn't until seven years later, after Charlie's Aunt, Romeo and Juliet, The Vortex and The Cherry Orchard, a spell as Rosencrantz at the Royal Court, debuts on Broadway and on screen, and much more besides, that Gielgud was finally cast as Hamlet at the Old Vic. 
The production was the last of a season that included Romeo, Richard II and A Midsummer Night's Dream, but it was Hamlet that turned Gielgud into a sensation. He got rave reviews, and the production had to transfer to the West End to cope with staggering demand. Over the next 15 years, Gielgud played Hamlet in another five productions, two of which he directed himself. One of these was in New York, and opened rather worryingly at almost the exact same time as a rival production starring Leslie Howard, a considerably bigger star who was known to audiences from Gone with the Wind. Despite tepid reviews for Gielgud, it was his sterling performance that wowed audiences, and while his production beat all Broadway records for the play, poor Leslie Howard's production didn't last more than a month. In 1939, Gielgud directed the play for a second time at the Lyceum Theatre in London, and with a plan to perform outdoors at Elsinore in Denmark. His autobiography mentions a very funny story of a morning spent with Harley Granville Barker, a cherished mentor of Gielgud's, right before the show opened. Granville Barker was a brilliant director and writer on Shakespeare, and he gave Gielgud about three hours' worth of notes, while the entire company waited for him at the theatre. There was so much helpful material in these notes that Gielgud had to plead with the whole company to come in on a Sunday so that they could rehearse them all and be ready for their imminent opening. It's a testament to how respected a director he was, and how helpful Barker's notes must have been, that the entire company agreed. Gielgud loved Barker's notes so much that he even printed a variety of them, from King Lear rather than Hamlet, in several of the books he published on his life and Shakespeare. And for the record, that production, unlike yours truly, did make it to Elsinore before the world was set into turmoil by the outbreak of World War II later in 1939. Gielgud returned to Hamlet in 1944, towards the end of the war, and played at the Haymarket in London and on tour. The following year he travelled to the Middle East and India, alternating between Hamlet and Noel Coward's blithe spirit. He played Hamlet for the last time in 1949 at the Cairo Opera House, and his memoirs recount how humbling and hair-raising that final performance must have been. Of course, Hamlet is the kind of piece that doesn't really leave us, and Gielgud returned to it in various formats even after he stopped playing the title role on stage. He recorded five separate radio versions of the play, one of which was nominated for a Grammy in 1960. It should be noted that the one competitive Tony that Gielgud won was for directing, in 1961, for a production of Big Fish, Little Fish. He was also given a special award for his one-man show of Shakespeare's speeches and monologues called Ages of Man, which also won him a Grammy. The same year, 1964, saw a return to Hamlet, this time with Richard Burton in the title role. The production premiered in Toronto and then played in Boston and eventually on Broadway. It was filmed in New York long after the production had become more Burton's than Gielgud's, but it's interesting to watch and see at least some of the meticulous detail that Gielgud could bring to the play. As well as the film of the show, and the various nuggets of rueful insight in Gielgud's memoirs, there's a really fascinating record of this production. William Redfield, the actor who played Guildenstern, wrote a fascinating diary throughout the project. He writes each entry as a letter to a friend called Bob, and takes the reader through the entire process of making the production. 
It's a really terrific read, dare I say, even more rewarding than the production itself. I am indebted to a listener called Marie V from Canada, who sent the book my way. I doubt I would ever have learned so much about Gielgud's Hamlet without it. Gielgud himself continued at work on screen, radio, television and of course in the theatre for another 30 years. At the age of 92, he returned to Hamlet one more time, playing Priam in Kenneth Branagh's uncut film version of the play in 1996. Few actors can lay claim to having played Rosencrantz, six different Hamlets, The Ghost and Priam, ordinarily just a mention in the player's speech after all, across such an illustrious career. Not only that, Gielgud was only the fourth person ever to achieve the coveted, if arbitrary, status of EGOT for having won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and that Tony. In his rather amazing survey entitled Five and Eighty Hamlets, another critic called J.C. Truin discusses Gielgud's voice in particular. Alec Guinness once described it as a silver trumpet muffled in silk, but Truin is rather more expansive. A terry, deriving from the royal family of the stage, bred up with eagle birds of Jove, his princeliness was obvious. One waited for the voice, ever the hardest quality to define. Gielgud's voice had been likened to the oboe, the Elizabethan hautbois. As I heard it that night, it had the range of a violin, a Stradivarius controlled by a master. This was the ultimate music of the word, sound and sense in unison. Fastidiously scored, lofty in spirit, it had to be, in pace, breeding, emotion, and the suppleness of what the 19th century called transitions, the classic Hamlet that audiences of the time expected. I could not have wished to see and hear more clearly what the American critic Rosamond Gilder would describe as the prototype of all lost and lonely souls. Now, if, like me, such descriptions have you pining to hear what Gielgud's voice might have been like, don't despair. There are a number of recordings that Gielgud made, remember, including one with the Old Vic Company. They're fairly easy to find on the internet, and certainly there are some of them in Spotify if you happen to be a subscriber there. If you'd rather hear Gielgud talking about the play, I've also dug up a very insightful 30-minute programme in which he explains some of his ideas on Hamlet. I'll put a link to it on the website, which, as I'm sure you remember, is thehamletpodcast.com. Late in his life, Gielgud was interviewed for Channel 4 on a variety of subjects, and he was asked what he'd like to be remembered for. Amazingly, he mentions the same book by Truin. You've scaled so many high peaks in your career. Which one would you like to be remembered for most? Oh, I suppose for Hamlet, because it's a part that so many people have competed in. Truins just sent me a book. He says he's seen... How many... How many... Some... Five and eighty Hamlets he's seen. <laughs> so, so there's quite a lot of competition. <laughs> Gielgud was quite resistant to filming in the early days of his career. Sadly, this meant that we never got a visual record of him playing Hamlet. Perhaps this just adds to the sense of how special, how magnificent he was in the role, 
and how lucky those in-person audiences really were. I hope you'll join me throughout this week for the various remaining bonus episodes coming your way. If you're on social media, you can check either Twitter or Facebook for updates on what's coming. And if you're on Instagram, I hope you'll join me throughout 2022 as I'm putting together a little Hamlet-related post for every day of the year ahead. On all platforms, you can find the podcast at Hamlet Podcast. Simple enough. Thank you yet again for your company. I've missed you, and I hope you'll join me for the rest of the week.